I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi. Ah, hi. This isn't my natural time of day. <laughs> no, I mean... Is it yours? Either. No. <laughs> no. Ah, oh, thank you for doing it at this well, ridiculous hour. That's fine. It's fine. I, I, we forgot, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did. (laughs) Well, better late than never. Here we go. On this episode, to try and lure people over to the Patreon, Mm -hmm. we forgot. The main thing. (laughs) The main main bit. Oh, God. Well. So let's do it, shall we? Let's let's give them what they want or what we want to give them. (laughs) Well, uh, hello, listeners, and uh, welcome to the Patreon exclusive episode. Well, it's not actually, is it? Because we're going to put it out on the main podcast feed. That's right. Well, the main thing is, is that we recorded loads of extra stuff with the unthanks and it was so yeah. good, but we didn't yeah. want it just to um, get get not heard. So so this is going out on the main feed. And if you like it, then we always do stuff like this on the Patreon. Yeah. We always, uh, have extra extra episodes with people. So That's right. Get, get involved. Absolutely. And, you know, as time goes on, we've got, Big plans about, you know, videos, merchandise, all that jazz. So um, it will happen. There's so many things you can get on a Patreon. But to start with, this is some great content, isn't it, Seb? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I I much prefer you talking because it's very early in the morning. I think my voice is very different. than it normally is okay well you know i i usually find it hard to string a sentence together but i'm this is even even harder than usual but i'm going to give it a go um Mm. so things we cover in this bonus episode we chat about different styles of clog dancing yeah that's right oh yeah yeah we talk about that was i mean because they're for rachel and becky of the unthanks they had started in clog dancing it's very interesting um they talk about an an unfortunate incident at stanley town hall but i'll let her explain that to you um uh, we talk about the differences oh yes Go on. Between the Lancashire style of mm-hmm. dancing and the Northumbrian style of dance. <gasps> That's right. Dancing. Yeah. The fierce rivalry. Um, <laughs> no, I think okay. War of the Roses. No, that's something completely different. Sorry. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, this, we, we sort of delved into the recording techniques that Adrian utilises. Yeah. And his... his um, yeah, he's always had this idea about scale within music and trying to recreate the visuals of, of the Northumbrian countryside and uh, yes, and the the, uh, the vast expanse, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, his love of seventies music. Oh yeah, we talk about that, don't we? Yep, we do. And how that, he, he wasn't around in the seventies, but um, well, not not consciously. <laughs> Not maybe the early bit. Him. I think maybe it was in the late bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right, though. He does talk about that. He does talk he does about, talk about that, doesn't he? Yeah. Also, um, their, yes. their um, great philosophy about saying yes to everything and maybe where that might have landed them in difficulties in the past. Yeah. 
No. It's a good thing, isn't it, saying yes? Give it, it is. Excellent. Today. No. And, well, it's uh, only ruddy 7.30. I haven't said yes to a whole lot, apart from doing this. <laughs> well, you said yes, didn't you? I that did, was, yeah. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, guys, have a lovely day mm-hmm. and a lovely week. And if you like this kind of episode, usually with this Patreon ones, they're, they're like sort of like the offcuts. So mm. so on the episode, it might be a bit of a fade out. It's like it's fade into something else and then you mm. catch up where you are. Um, and there you go. It's not quite as uh, as perfectly honed as the normal episode. No. But, but it's nonetheless. Like, it's, it's like um, deleted scenes. Think of it like that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's and, often uh, some little nuggets of choice gems that we've left out and say, oh, well, it's, what a yeah. shame. What a shame everyone can't hear that. So what this week you can. You can. <laughs> so get involved. Enjoy the episode. If you like it, head down to the Patreon and join us over there for as little as £3.50 a month. Yes. <laughs> That's all I can say. Too tired. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> came first for you guys really didn't it was that right you t- uh, you and becky were it's all part and part of the same thing really is that our our parents are just massively into folk music and so as well as singing my dad sings all the time still and um and and playing instruments we learned to play instruments but also he was in a, a dance a rap a rapper dance team which is like sword dancing from the northeast r-a-double-p-e-r so it's like five men traditionally with um like the long bendy piece of metal with wooden handles on the end and one swivels and one doesn't and it, it, they think it was like for scraping sweat off pit ponies backs things like, and also rapping on the cage to be let up and so out of that came this amazing like fast and flashy dance that has stepped like they intertwine they tumble over them they make a star and there's a bit of stepping and alongside that is cl- the clog tradition in the northeast and so as as little girls we went to learn to clog dance and um and my brother did as well actually um until he looked around and realized there wasn't that many boys there <laughs> and because traditionally it was it was like it was very competitive and you could win a belt and win money so men did clog dance too and but um so as a they used to go and like visit other teams or dance at festivals and and we used to it like be part of that really so from a young age we we would perform um yeah with Addison rapper and clog dance team which is still going today just about oh very good <laughs> i read in your your book that you've released uh, which is a wonderful book um about the when you went on these sort of dance tours and you'd meet clog groups from like the northwest yeah. of England, and that was like a totally different. Style I mean, of clog dance. if you probably saw them, you might not. Rec- you not. You might not realise, <laughs> but um. So it's it's <laughs> like, but just the way the sh- the shape of the shuffles and things like that, and you know, different um weight and stuff like that. Yeah. So northeast has a very straight shuffle, and other places, Lancashire has a more rounded shuffle. So the next time you look, you can have a look. <gasps> When you say shuffle, yeah. what, is that is that? A oh movement? yeah, just like the forward and back bit. Yeah, the forward and back. Mm. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, how, I will, I will watch out that, for that. How did the clog dancing become so popular there? Was that something people wore? Yes. In a, in a shop, it comes like? out of industry. So in Lanc- uh, in Lancashire, it came out of pit, um, not pit mine. Uh, what they called factories. 
Mills, no. that's what I'm looking for. Mills. Um, but in Mills, right. the northeast, it was very much out of mind. So um, people wore them to, for work and also to school as well. And obviously it just, they make a good noise. So I think it just developed from that, you know. Um, and there's actually a great tradition as well. Um, they used to have called pedestal dancing. And it's like a box with a glass top. And you, um, it was just a small box, and the it's very um, precise. Then the 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 your step your stepping's very precise. You can hear it very precisely. So that was a competition style as well, which our parents did let us do. And I did actually break one on stage once um, in Stanley oh. Town Hall. <laughs> wow! <laughs> but it didn't cut me off, so it was all right. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> it's um, it's not the easiest thing to record, uh, clog dancing. Yeah, we tried to put it on record yeah. once or twice, and it, it just if if you take the visuals away, it doesn't sound like dancing. It just sounds like you know a percussionist doing something. Yeah, uh, exactly. perhaps perhaps because it's falling down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe because we don't associate with that that um, that wooden sole uh, with with footwear um yeah. and we, right. we we tried we tried so many different things um with um uh when we when we put when we put some on the bends that actually you these guys ended up doing it i think in slippers or something. it was like you know those like was shoes that are like a bit sparkly and you might wear it they were not really in fashion anymore but they're a bit like a leather slipper and i used to wear them all the time and so we ended I up doing it mean. in that yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it because yeah. it just and in, and in a, <laughs> in a and on floorboards in a in a domestic uh, dining room, so it was, so that both the sound of the foot and the acoustic were f- were familiar to the ear, and then it sounded like feet. That's God, really interesting. Yes, mm. that is cool. If you, I guess you've had to make decisions along the way about how much to make it sound almost like a field recording, or like you're in a pub singing these traditional songs, or to make it like almost like a studio recording and like what balance to, to get and has that changed over the years? Yeah, it changes all the time. Uh, like uh, going back to that record, uh, the, the bands, it, um, the, that was a very uh, realistic sounding record. We were trying to make music that sounded like you were in this, you, you were in the space it was being recorded in, but that, is a construct in itself. You know, people think that that's a more natural sounding record, but actually it can take more production uh, and more production techniques to make something sound like it hasn't got any production than it can to make, you know, a record sound really big, uh, for, for instance, um, because you need to make it sound like everyone was in one room, despite the fact that they weren't. So sort of matching nat- natural acoustics and getting... Um, a sort of 3D sound field that's realistic is, is to, to my mind, much more difficult. Um, and, yeah, but scale is something that's uh, – it, it's been a, a preoccupation uh, in music um, from an early age. Uh, the the um, piece of music that's probably the, the biggest influence on me than, than any other is a piece of music um, called Islands by King Crimson. It's the title track of – of, of one of their records. Um, and something about hearing that at a young age, I, I didn't hear it for maybe 20 years after, after being a kid, but it was still informing my ideas, um, about, about scale and about what I 
like to call musical vertigo, where you think you're in one space uh, and and that space might be sort of really tight and close, and then suddenly this orchestra emerge out of nowhere, and and it's almost like when you're on that mountainside and you think you're in one place and then the clouds lift and you realize there's this great big face on the other side and it takes your breath away for a second um i suffer from literal vertigo um quite badly and i think that's part of the um part of the kind of um preoccupation with with scale um and and it's yeah it's it's all over our records from that one one piece of uh, music, which was also the place that informed my preoccupation with trumpet, Seb. Um, I was a- just going to ask you about that because of Starless, yeah. uh, with, with that just stunning, it's a cornet solo, isn't it? It's not trumpet, it's, is that right? Is it cornet solo? Um, on Starless, oh, uh, on yeah. our Starless, it's Lizzie yeah, on, on trumpet. Your one. Yes, it's Lizzie, yeah. Yeah. Oh, It's just... Uh, but it's on, just on so Islands, fantastic. On, on the song uh, Islands by King Crimson, which was the influence, that was mm. uh, Cornet, actually. Right. Uh, yeah, it, but it was more to do with, again, it, was, uh, it wasn't about the instrument, but it was about the space it was in. Suddenly you were in the room and, and you weren't up to that point and the, the, the sort of the presence and, and closeness of this trumpet, um, just uh, the emotional effect of, of, of the fragility and the simplicity uh, of both the instrument and the way it was played and the space it was in uh, just just takes your, takes your breath away. And um, I think it just illustrated to me at an early age um, how, you know, how many aspects there are towards um, creating sort of emotional surprise uh, mm. just, just purely through sonics. So did you, when you were listening to that, did you know that's a production method they're using there like to do with, distance from the microphone or maybe reverbs and things like that were you thinking about those kind of things i was there? thinking about those things as a kid were you? Yeah, definitely yeah 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 I, well I, particularly I, I i grew up with the early the music of the late 60s and the early 70s i'm not old enough to have been there at the time um, just i'll have you know but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's the diet i was given um and um, yeah, I guess there's a lot of sonic experimentation at that time. You know, from from the Beatles' decision to never play live again and use the studio as a creative tool. Um, you know, from that moment on, um, you know, there was a ten year period in which you know the, the studio really was was the um, perhaps the most important creative um, tool that the, the musician had. Um, uh, in terms of you know all sorts of ways, the ways that you know most drums on uh, uh, music from that period are very close up, even if the music's um, uh, very atmospheric. Lots of Pink Floyd is very atmospheric and big sounding, but the drums are always super, super close. And uh, just creating that sort of 3D element to to, to music, um, I suppose, is is a big influence on me. And 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 it, it, in lots of ways, is the is the route towards ending up being uh, someone who, who creates. Uh, sort of orchestral based uh, arrangements for folk music um i didn't grow up with with classical music at all I, i'm still looking forward to that journey really uh, it's nice to have one or two left at this point <laughs> um mes- musically to go on um but a lot of the people who made music during that time were, were influenced by classical music um and and it's th- through that sort of progressive rock filter that i sort of acquired a lot of vo- vocabulary that was essentially derived from classical music, but I got it secondhand through rock music. Um, and as a young person 
growing up in the nineties, thought that all the um, all the all the dreadful keyboard sounds that we were using were awful, and dated the music and made it unlistenable to to my friends and stuff. Because how could they possibly understand the music with, the, with all these awful sounds on it? So you know that informed my desire to go back to those to, to the original instruments that music was played on that inspired those bands to to, to you know to make very sort of big um, and big music and and music with with long scale in terms of time, you know, all those, uh, all those sort of characteristics of progressive rock, but without the nasty keyboards and <laughs> let's, you know, let's Rick get... Rick Wakeman. Yeah, exactly. Let's, <laughs> let's get the strings back in, let's get the brass back in and, and, yeah. and uh, that's where it all comes from, really. Musicians in, in on our side of things, you know, they're almost... Half of them are, have be, perhaps become musicians by personality default of, of being people who generally distrust being told what to do and have contempt of establishment and, you know, end up being so, you know, artistic, uh, through, through personality type. Whereas you've got people in, in your side of the world who have to behave in exactly the opposite way, who are, who are dealt, uh, and, and told what to do in such on uncompromising terms that you're, you're, you're almost treated like, like machines mm. you know the, the, and I think the, the more and more yeah I think more and more uh, classical musicians are, I, I feel like I don't know if I'm right about this but this is what I think um, and certainly freelancers are having uh, like there's more of a sort of rebellion against that now I think definitely people are coming out of college and sort of seeking out more varied mm. paths well, I hope so anyway because you're absolutely right it's so sad when it is your creativity is stifled considering that's what you're sort of you've been aiming for all these years is this opportunity mm. to be, go and be creative in the world so yeah I think you're absolutely right. It's the just... funny expectation as well when we first like started working with classical musicians was obviously it's just because it's more organised and there's like system support in it. it. Was like that. We were like, so how much are we getting paid for this rehearsal? And we were like, you get paid for rehearsals. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> what? And then we're like, oh shit, we're going to have to pay them. <laughs> okay, well, where you can't get it. We're like, well, you're not getting paid. I said, we're not getting paid, but we have to pay them. Okay, all right then. Right, found it. <laughs> and it's just that's why they, that's why they don't want to sing, Rachel. They think it, it, they, they ought to have a second fee for a second. Maybe doubling, doubling fees. But I guess it's because <laughs> ours actually is grown. It's you know that is a professional world and actually we've come out of an amateur world like you know the folk world the way we learned was for fun and it's for like inclusivity and yeah. to have a go you're encouraged to have a go and it's the same with agents background is more like yeah. bands like when you're a teenager you know and like you're in somebody's garage and you like like just playing for fun so it, it's like a different approach really but it definitely was like I remember there being a moment of like like oh right okay we have to think about this yeah yeah we can't just ask them to rehearse for hours on end but with no money okay (laughs) hopefully hopefully everything's getting better in in, you know things seem to be getting better in your world in terms of the extent to which musicians are are better protected now and 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 are paid uh correctly and and for 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 rehearsals and and everything else um and on the other side uh, hopefully there's more of an opportunity for people in classical music to to um you know, to get away from that world and, and because they are properly paid for it and, and invest in, you know, in creativity and, and doing other sort of projects and, um, you know, through being facilitated in one properly, um, they can hopefully take, take some chances and, and 
and, and explore that creative side away away from that world because as rachel says i suppose to some extent and it's right to get to i mean i'm not um, it's not not right to get paid for rehearsing i don't think that comes by the way just to make clear i think it is right <laughs> especially if you're a professional <laughs> musician working Rather in an orchestra <laughs> it's still not happening rachel <laughs> well you're still not we're still not going to get paid each other for rehearsing don't worry i've given i've, I've got no delusions <laughs> I was actually going to ask you if you felt like it's diversifying, whether there are more people who are coming to folk music these days, or do you feel like you're fighting for especially British folk musics? Um, like, is it in a healthy place? Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it quite. Exactly. But, um, it, it's quite thriving, actually. I mean, we're not as, we don't have our ear to the ground as much as we used to when we were younger, because we're getting old and, you know, too busy taking our children to football practice and stuff like that. But um, it is quite thriving. It certainly was when I was younger. And I think that there's a lot, I mean, especially, it depends on the area as well. Like for me in the Northeast, it, it has a very strong cultural identity. So I knew lots of people, well, a lot of my parents friends from the 60s that kind of got into folk music in the 60s but then there's kind of their children creating a second wave and then there's things like um folk works or a folk arts agency in the northeast that so we used to go to summer school and like um in the summer and and learn meet other young kids and um who are into folk music and also there's a folk degree now at newcastle as well newcastle university which actually near for our fiddle player did that's why she moved to the northeast from from uh hertfordshire and so um so that kind of brings a lot of young people to our area specifically but also there's lots of grassroots um like like um folk classes and clog classes and the festivals still have quite a strong um presence and 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 bring bringing people together and there is i think all up but yeah i wouldn't say that i was on it as i used to be on knowing about these things um but i feel like also i think we're lucky that now a lot of there's a lot of archival stuff so there's a lot of old musicians and singers that are not alive anymore but their music has been archived and that's accessible through the internet so it's easier in a way for people for younger people to get into it because you don't have to have met that person and learned that song from them so in a way it's it's more accessible I read somewhere you were saying that you like to say yes to things and then worry about the consequences after, which I think is a fantastic way to live and, <laughs> and, and really great. But I mean, are there any occasions which you can think of where you thought, yeah, I've said yes to that and the consequences are grim? <laughs> Couldn't possibly share those. <laughs> <laughs> well, ones that you can share. <laughs> saying, saying yes to, um, uh, to, to performing on stage when you've just had a baby. I mean, no. <laughs> Oh, there we are. <laughs> Which actually, I, I wouldn't say that was, yeah. I mean, that was tough, but like, actually, it was an absolute brilliant experience and um, led to yeah. like such one of our most kind of nourishing creative um, things. But um, yeah, I can't, I can't oh. think of anything. Well, we've been saying no all, all, all lockdown to getting involved in the kind of on, online streaming concert kind of culture in the hope that. Um, by doing so, people will be keener to come back and fill theatres and audiences through having missed us once we are able to go out and play live again. Yes. But we, um, we, we sort of caved in in, in February uh, and, and, and in a, a huge way. And that, that was, well, not a regret, but uh, a, a quite a, an undertaking in, in the end to, to, to 
to create a weekend event in which we put 23 hours of content out in, in one weekend. Um, yeah. And homeschooled at the same time. At the same time. <laughs> Not to oh learn so God. many different new skills, you know, in terms of creating visual content as well. And um, it's been a, a yeah, huge learning curve, which I feel like I'm still recovering from now. But uh, it was very nerve wracking <laughs> when we went live and we were, Adrian's, go, Adrian's biggest fear was that mm. we just would have to give everyone their money back because it didn't work. But it did work. So it was all right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I saw some of it and it was totally fab. <laughs> I saw you. some of the real pared down stuff at the, and it was, yeah, absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, be- the best bit of it is that we, we managed to create three hours of content from, from, from stuff that attendees had sent us through responding to challenges that we set them in in advance so we we um we got people to go out on their sort of daily lockdown walks and and uh, record themselves from favorite spots uh singing or or talking about how their you know the lockdowns going and what have you so we've now got this sort of archive of of uh, a snapshot of uh, from across the world of people's experiences in in lockdown and hopefully created just like a conduit for connectivity through creating an opportunity for other people to be creative uh, as well in a way that may, you know, it might be a, a sort of online thing that that can continue beyond lockdown and is sufficiently different to to seeing as live that um we we've created a, a new sort of thing a new a new income stream that might might be permanent as well i think it's it's been really interesting this year because the the word community has been said a lot in a different way to the sort of community that folk music has come through that of of actually being in the same room and being seeing each other and and actually singing in harmony or singing in unison the physical side of thing but we've all been doing it but digitally or saying hello but from each other's front door that's been something we've been thinking about a lot and and also you're saying about people recording their own experiences on their walks and that and and how a lot of your songs are about very specific stories or characters. And have you found inspiration from this? You know, have you been writing in this time as well? Will it, will it be kind of related to this period in, in human history? I think we don't, we don't really, uh, uh, I think it'd be interesting. We're just making an album, we're starting to make an album at the moment. And it'd be interesting to almost look back on it and see, do you know, I think we don't, we haven't like consciously set out to do that. But I think with every album that you make and everything you do creatively, your circumstances, um, you know, affect that. And certainly the way, obviously the way in which we're working, like everybody else is, we're not all in the same room. So we're having to like send stuff to each other and, lay, you know, have conversations by email, which is di- different. <laughs> and, it's definitely, I think when we look back at the album, we might like think, oh, well, we did that like that because, you know, because of that, because we couldn't, you know, we, we can't, like we had thought about using lots of voices and we probably will do at some point, but that's kind of, we're not going to be able to do that right now. Like, so I think some of the artistic choices we use will be informed by our circumstances. What do you think, Ed? Well, it's been a great opportunity to, to be able to, connect with fans overseas you know by by doing online events we're reaching parts of our audience that um you know we we stopped touring overseas properly in about 2011 as soon as we started having kids because it's so much more difficult and now of course there's all sorts of other reasons why it's more diff- going to be more difficult to tour overseas so yeah uh, i think 
I think the whole process of, of lockdown has, has created a culture in which people are prepared to spend more recreational time online and experience things in new and different ways, um, which which I, I hope will will have some sort of lasting impact. Well, there we go. That was the unthanks with a lovely extra bit of chat. Yeah, great. What did you think, guys? It's definitely worth £3.50 a month, isn't it? That yeah, every week. I mean, I've got to say, it won't always be the unthanks. No, it won't. Week. In fact, it's probably not going to be them again. No, no, I doubt they'll they'll want to not do that. that they again. did anything wrong, but <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe one day we'll go up to their their weekend retreat. I think we should. And we'll, we'll chat to all of them, and we can yeah. record it all. Yeah, and all that kind of thing. Or maybe we'll go and see one of their gigs. We'll, we'll have a chat yeah. to them backstage. Oh, there's so many possibilities. I want to go to that singing weekend, so I think we should try and get ourselves an invite somehow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be so nice. Uh, so, uh, nothing else to say, really, is there? No, other than thanks for tuning in again this week. And yeah. we'll be back next Monday with more. Yeah. Head on over to the Patreon if you haven't yet. And we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Cheerio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.